starting lineup of your favorite show and producer, 5'11", from Blanchester, the cow killer, Casey McAllister, and comic engineer, standing at 4'8", the pride of the west side, Elliot Rearing. All right, all right, here we go again, Tuesday. A good Tuesday morning to you. This is Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We're going to continue the bit where we do, we come your way every single day from 10 to 12. P. Even though we don't really know what it's going to (laughs) be. Should we continue to do that bit? I don't know. All right, we've got some things to talk about today. And uh, most of the time... Most people want to talk about football. The thing is, is football's over. So when football's over, some shows decide they're just going to continue to talk about football regardless. That show was not here, totally. We will talk about, obviously, the Super Bowl hangover, what that looks like, how that affects Cincinnati, possibly, and a fun, I think a fun, poll question of the day. We'll get into UC Hoops later. Keegan Nicholson will be on the airwaves at 1030 to talk UC basketball. And some of the burning questions that are in the West Miller program right now about who's going to score the basketball. What do you do with Victor Lockett? Is this a must win tonight? We'll get into all that around 1030. Pitchers and catchers report today. Some people get excited about that. Obviously, I think that many people think since I uh, co-host a baseball show, perhaps that gets me fired up. If we're being dead honest... I, I'm, I'm indifferent about it. I'm indifferent about it. I'm not sure if I like it. I'm not sure if it makes me happy. I'm not sure if I could care less. Maybe you guys can help me decide that later in the show. But we will talk about Jonathan India. His, what some are calling an extension, but it's not really an extension. It's just a, uh, an opportunity to avoid arbitration. What does that mean? And then moving forward, who's the odd man out for the pitchers and catchers? More importantly, the pitchers side of things. The Cincinnati Reds come into the spring training with, you could argue, more than five quality MLB starters. Which one's left behind? We'll take. We'll make our bold prediction, if you want to call it that, towards the end of this show. But first and foremost, we got more people that are on this show. For those that are wondering, I continue to tell everybody, yes, this is the first week, so I'm going to say it, I guess, all week long. We'll figure it out as we go. Yeah. Tom, obviously... Uh, We've talked about that at length here. Tom is going to do a show. Uh, He is trying to figure out exactly when he's going to start doing that show on Mondays from 9.15 till 10. And then he's going to bookend the week with one of his uh, his big interviews. It's going to be called Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. And uh, Reed Mouse is going to start calling a boatload of Miami baseball and softball games. So once once that settles down and and, and gets into the the kind of... uh, um, into the rearview mirror, I think is the term I'm looking for. We will we will have Reed back. He will have his uh, his own, what I think is a unique and fun show that he will be doing right after this show. And all is, all will be well in the world. And oh, by the way, for those that don't, you know, that uh, that probably are, are wondering how in the world, um, you know, I'm hosting a show and doing Reds and all these things. Well, I don't know either, to be quite frank. And I am uh, on the prowl, as they say. We're 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 looking. We're looking. I'm trying to figure it out as we go. But here's the thing. Um, news and notes 
from last night. Elliot Rearing, is there anything that happened last night that we should know about? Well, there's a couple of things from last night, but we'll, we'll start with the weekend as, as a whole because yesterday was kind of a dead day in sports. Not a, not a ton going on. Uh, the, 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 the usual NBA, NHL, and uh, two good games of college basketball. Uh, a record. $185 million was bet on the Super Bowl just with the Nevada books alone. That is a record uh, all time. Tiger Woods has started a new brand. It is called Sunday Red. Nice. That's because he wears red. On Sundays. On Sundays. How I about like that? that? That's very clever. Marquez Warwick. I don't know if you saw this. Marquez Warwick. Marquez Warwick is now the all-time leading scorer in NKU history. Casey. How about that? How about that? Go Norse. Go, Go Norse. Norse. That's a cool little story. Uh, number six ranked Kansas last night. Lost by 29 to Texas Tech. Uh, they are 7-5 and five in the conference. They haven't won outside of Fog Allen Fieldhouse in a month. And also, for the very first time in his career, Bill Self was ejected. Uh, tough scenes for Kansas. That's your Kansas Jayhawks, right? That's in one of your fake fandoms? Fake fandoms. All right. Um, here's a, I'm not going to let that go on for too long. So for, for, for really quickly, if we can, if I may. Yeah, sure. Uh, for those that are wondering, I'll trace. Because I, I see the comments. I'm not an idiot. I, I see the comments. Trace hates Cincy Sports. Listen, I don't hate Cincy Sports. Perhaps sometimes I, I speak truthfully of what I see, and maybe you don't like that. And many will call me a hater about the... The, the Bengals from time to time. But I have some positive news to talk about about the Bengals today, by the way. I have some that? good things to say. I, I I actually do. I, I We're on Alta Fiber today. We're, we're moving oh, yeah. fast. Casey McAllister's fired up that we actually have internet in here for the first time in two years as an internet company. That's big news. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. Uh, my fandom, it goes like this. It's simple, right? Yeah, I, it's I, really I, simple. I, it, it's, it is, it's it, really it is simple. actually incredibly simple. I like the Cincinnati Reds. Because I live, sure. I live in Cincinnati. Okay, let's get. We're gonna do this one time, and I'm done with it. Okay. And then you can clip it. We'll clip it up, and then I'll we'll just start sending it to everybody yeah, that chirps good. me about this. Let's, let's explain this. Uh, real Cincinnati quick. sports. I like the Reds because I live in Cincinnati. Sure. Grew up in Cincinnati. Like Cincinnati. Makes sense. I also grew up in a household with a stepfather whose dad and brother both played at the University of Georgia, and his dad actually played it at uh, for the Green Bay Packers. Okay. So. Therefore, when you grow up in a household, guess what? Usually you take in what your parents like. More times than not, whatever your parents like, you adapt, besides Drew Garrison, of course, you adapt to what they do. So I grew up liking the Georgia Bulldogs and the Green Bay Packers. Now, it just so happens, when I was in middle school, I tell the truth. I was in middle school. There was a guy named Nick, uh, Nick Collison and Kirk Heinrich. I don't know if you've ever heard of them before. I've heard of them. But I liked them. Okay? I liked those guys. So I started watching them, and the next thing you know... I just, you know, I, I like the guys after them. I liked after the game. There was Danny Graves, and then there was, you know, uh, Aaron Miles. Blah 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 blah. So I just, it just stuck. Okay, and that's my fandom. I don't. And then, I the, have pa any and then, other the, and then the Packers. I just told you the Packers. See, that's the thing with he, you he brain just, dead he, people. <laughs> that's the problem that I deal listen. with. Is that I have people around well, it's me, just like, it's people just, in the chat that I explain this to. Go, I explain it verbatim, and then they turn around and they say, "Well, what about?" I just told you yeah, about but, the Green Bay Packers and the Georgia Bulldogs, Elliot. Do you yeah, have something else to say? No, well, no. It's just it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and that's why I have to keep bringing it up. But that's but, fine. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on from that. Uh, Duke they beat Wake Forest yesterday at home, and they also covered the spread. That was significant for some, uh, and that some being me. Uh, Giannis, Giannis, they draw. He drops thirty six, and the Bucks win over the reigning champion Nuggets. I'm sure you watched nice. a lot of that game. None of it. I did. None of it. You watched some of it? Yeah, I had I had money on the uh, I had money on the Nuggets. Well, I didn't ask you if you had money on it. Did you watch it? 
I mean, I, I watched the game cast. <laughs> the best thing yeah. about Casey is so. that he will tell you that he watched a game. He, he, this isn't the first time. This is not the first time that Casey McAllister's done this. Casey will tell you, did you watch that game? I was like, yeah, I watched it. He's watching the game cast. That's <laughs> not watching the game. That's not even close to watching the game. Because you're not uh, even watching the game. You'll, you'll, put, you'll pull it out your phone. And there's not much to watch when you're getting blown out. All so. right. Well, that's fine. And, and, and lastly, the Mitch Trubisky era is officially over in Pittsburgh. Very, very sad. Mason Rudolph's their guy. Good luck to him. You got Kenny Pickett and you got Mason Rudolph. I wish you a whole lot of luck in Pittsburgh. Damn, that um, close fast, didn't it? But yeah, it's 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 sad. But that's the news of the day. News of the news of the morning. Well, I'm glad to see, by the way, the screenshot that you guys sent last night. Um, for those that didn't know, probably not because you're not in the group chat. Uh, there was a screenshot sent to me last night of a 20 leg parlay for 53 cents <laughs> to win a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, those guys wrote it. I was semi-concerned, if we're being honest, because they were getting a cash out of a uh, dollar twenty-five. Uh, so <laughs> they were they were they were on to something. Uh, they had they had Vegas semi-concerned, but then I started thinking if they all three win that, then we legitimately would be done as a company. Well, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. So what happened was those two wrote it. I had to leave. Her, I left early yesterday to go edit the tennis video. Yeah. Is uh, that done yet or no? Uh huh. Is that done yet? No, it's, I mean it's. <laughs> you talk about misery to edit. That one's that one's gonna be bad. Let, let's I, give him some credit. It's a long video. Uh, it's but a anyway, lot of footage. Anyway, um, what was I saying? I lost it. Oh, so they so they made their secret bet while I was gone. I didn't get to ride it. So oh. if they would have won it, I would have quit just because I couldn't live with myself not being able to ride that bet. So now what's gonna happen every day in this office? We're gonna make a twenty leg parlay. Reed's going to give X amount of picks. I'm going to give X amount of picks. Casey's going to give X amount of picks. And we're just going to try to win $200,000 every single night. Yeah, it, it's it happens, like a great idea, guys. If it happens, it happens. It just goes in a rotation. Maybe we'll do it like snake style. Yeah. And we'll just keep picking through. Like me and Reed, we, we were just sitting here bored out of our mind. We're like, well, why don't we just put it together a crazy parlay? And so we just went back and forth picking the games. I actually did really bad in picking the games. Reed, on the other hand, I think he was like only missed like one or two games. Yeah, we were fourteen and six, so not bad. Pretty impressive. Yeah, pretty impressive. Uh, it's a shame that uh, it's a shame that nothing nothing was won because of it. You know, <laughs> I, it's always like that's how they draw it up in Vegas. Um, all right, Super Bowl hangover. Obviously, some people are, are really down on a day like today, right? They, they they've oh, come yeah. to the realization that football is completely over. You're not going to get that back until the fall again. Certainly, there's some people that get fired up about the draft. They get into the they get into the, all of the the nuances. And Casey's one of those guys. I personally am not. I think it's tough to get into. Um, I get excited around draft time, right? When I when I say that, I mean like maybe the week of the draft. Some people are, are knee deep in mock drafts, like right now, all the way up into it. I just just not that person. There's other sports to enjoy. I think this world was built on seasonality to a certain extent, right? You have you have seasons. Sure. Too much of one thing more times than not is a good is 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 not a good thing. Um, one would say money is, I'd like to find that out. Most, that's the joke that usually goes around, right? It's, it's hard to have too much money, but maybe it is. Maybe there's a way to have too much money, more money, more problems as the saying goes. But point is, is this, there are other sports to talk about. We're going to do our best to talk about it. But if we can also just be honest with each other for a second, we're just going to enjoy our company for the next few weeks. That's right. Because the reality is, is there's nothing pressing right now outside of maybe we could call UC and Xavier basketball. Those are the two sports that are local. And uh, no disrespect to the Cyclones. Maybe I can start digging them up. They Which might be playing some big games. You're talking about the hockey team? The hockey team, yeah. Uh, and 
you know, outside of those two teams, the reality is from a professional sports standpoint, there's not a whole lot oh, yeah. uh, of major news happening unless something oh. crazy happens, oh, like yeah? an injury or things that, that are outside of our control from you're, a world perspective. You're forgetting that, uh, one. Some freak accident. I hope that doesn't happen. But uh, what, what, what do we got over there? You got some you're big forget, news? You're forgetting one big professional sports team here in Cincinnati. Don't and say they're, And they're starting relatively, really soon. FC starting. Uh-huh. How long is their season, Casey? It's very long. It, it, the... it rivals the NBA season. It's very long. It starts like end of February. Actually, it's like February 25th, I think, is their opening game. Nothing like I'm, soccer in February. Because me and uh, my wife are going to it. How about that? Good we for you. We got the Daytona yeah. 500. Isn't that this weekend? Is, uh, that, is it? I, I, if I wish I could follow NASCAR, but yeah. I, it you're is not sometime. a NASCAR follower. No, I, I I would rather watch paint dry, if I'm going to be completely honest. All right, so let me say this. I'll uh, watch the I'm not a huge I'm not a huge um, stock car, NASCAR racing guy. I'm not going to pretend that I am. But what I would say is, is that a live NASCAR event is actually very enjoyable. And I'm not suggesting for a second that you're going to travel forever to go see one. But if you get a chance one day, perhaps, I just want to put that nugget in the, in the brains of our producers that it is enjoyable to be live at a NASCAR event. And for a guy that likes to gamble, not a bad thing with 50 laps to go to put some coin down on somebody I, and I, enjoy the rest of the race. I have no doubt in my mind that it's fun to go to. I, Reed took me to my very first NHL game this year in Columbus, and I thought that was a blast. I don't watch hockey. I don't care for hockey. I don't have a hockey team. There's none in Cincinnati. Uh, shout out Cyclones. But I, I'll say this, it was an electric atmosphere. I think NASCAR is absolutely that. I think it's a great atmosphere. Will I ever put it on my TV? Never. There is never a scenario where I will ever watch it. Same with the- uh, I can make you a liar in five seconds. What's, okay, make me a liar. I could say I'll give you a $100 free bet on any racer that you want in the Daytona 500 and you will be glued to that television for the last 100 laps. Yeah, but see, uh, these, these, these magic dollars you're giving away. <laughs> I knew this it's, was coming. Your magic dollars <laughs> that you're giving away, it's, it's hard to find. So I, it, it maybe probably wouldn't actually register for me. But listen, if, if, I, am I, if I'm ever going to go to an NASCAR race, I'd love it. I'd love it. I wish they would just shorten it. Why do we need 350 laps? Let's just do, let's just do 10. Let's just do 10 laps, 10 cars. 10? Just like, yeah, we'll just shorten it. We'll shorten the field. We'll do it like uh, the movie Cars, Lightning McQueen style. Like the, the big three. We'll just have three cars out there for the for the championship race, and that's what we do. I think that's a lot more fun. Let's at least make it an hour long. Why? Why? Because, because like, why, why, why else? Why, time? why? Why put it together a whole operation then? There's no ad revenue in that. There's nothing. Sure, it would, it wouldn't I, yeah. be. What about uh, an, a, a really? You just brought a good point up. A, a good C box challenge uh, for all of us. Everybody in the office would be to go to a, uh, like a, a not a super super high end where you have to put helmets on, but a uh, go kart like a go kart place. Ooh. We could race each other. That's fun. And, and, and here's the thing too. You know, like the one thing that I used to do when I was young, I was very paranoid about getting kicked out of the go kart racing. And this is how you know the show's gone somewhat off the rails. But I think this is fun. This is a fun thing to talk this about. This is fun. Um, is when you go go-kart racing when you were younger, at least when I was younger, I would be very, very scared to get in trouble about, oh, if you bump this person, they might like t yell at you and then you get kicked out. Um, you know, whatever. It, it's, it's one of those things where I was just worried all the time about, about the rules. And then at some point, I don't know when it happened, I had come to realize that, you know what, what's the worst thing they could really do to me? Yeah. Uh, when I'm go-kart racing. What are they going to kick me out of here? I'm gonna, yeah. How many times do you actually pay to go on the go-kart track anyways? Maybe two times? So, you know what? Just let it all hang out on the last race. When you know that you're leaving the go-kart track, 
You make sure that you spin out the littlest kid you can find. That's what you should do, Elliot. I think I've been go-kart racing once, and I'm very afraid of, like, the fast speeds that, that are go-kart racing. So I think I drove the speed limit, and I sat back in last place. I think that's what I did. I'm not a big, I'm not a big bumper cars guy. Like, if you go to Kings Island, and you're going to the bumper cars, and you're just trying to wreak havoc on all the little children, uh, that's not me. I, I, I just sit in the corner, and I'll sit in my little car, and I'll do a, a Sunday drive. But I but teach their own. Teach their own. If you want to go crashing the little kids with your go karts, I I'm well. I'm not cool. trying to crash. I'm just saying well, you're racing. I mean, if if you're not bumping guys and you're not trying to go around people, what's the point of go kart racing? That's where I'm at. Um. All right. Uh. Super Bowl hangover. Uh. One point I wanted to make here really quickly, and this is where I think I I have some positive news. I'm the I maybe I'm the optimist of the group here. Okay. I don't know. But here's the thing. Uh. Of the last, I'm gonna read this so I don't mess this up. Of the last 17 quarterbacks to lose their Super Bowl debut, many of you may know this, they've failed to ever get back. Really? Never gotten back. All right? I'll read you the list of names. Stan Humphreys, Neil O'Donnell, Drew Bledsoe, Chris Chandler, Steve McNair, Kerry Collins, Rich Gannon, Jake DeLome, Donovan McNabb, Matt Hasselback, Rex Grossman, Colin Kaepernick, Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, and uh, Joe Burrow, and now, obviously, Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy. Poll question of the day. Of the four quarterbacks that are most recent to have lost in their Super Bowl debut, which of the four has the best chance to break the streak? Brock Purdy, Joe Burrow, Jared Goff, Jalen Hurts. Interesting. I think it's Joe Burrow. I think it's Joe Burrow. Now... Again, I was I not 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 trying to put rumors out there, but there are people in this organization that are big time Bengals and Burrow fans, and they told me that Joe Burrow has the worst odds to get back. I don't think who's who. I can't. I I mean, who? it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure I, out who that might be. But I'm saying I think it's Joe Burrow. And others are saying Joe Burrow has the worst odds. Okay, so I'm saying that you're correct. I, I think it 100% is Joe Burrow. He's most likely to get back. I don't know who these other magic people are that you're talking about that's saying he's got bad odds and all that, but without, without a doubt. Uh, you could say Brock Purdy just because of the team he has around him, but after this little run ends, he's got about another, what, Casey, two years? He's got two years to make it work with this current 49ers roster, and outside of that, it's over for him, respectfully. He's got one more year. One more year. J well, it's this year and next year, right? Or just this nope, year? Just this just year. Just this year. Never mind. Uh, Jalen Hurts, I think, is a very good quarterback. I think he is a good shot to get back. I would say him and Burrow are even money. I, I would take them both at the same odds. And then Jared Goff, and I say this with love, and I say this with a lot of respect to the city of Detroit, but that is a miserable organization, <laughs> and it will never, ever, ever get to the Super Bowl. Not with Jared Goff, not with any quarterback that you can picture in your head. Will that will that city, will that franchise ever witness a Super Bowl? Yeah, and I know that some are obviously laughing in the chat about asking a question of Cincinnati sports fans about who has the best chance to get back, and Joe uh, Joe Burrow's on the list. Part of that is is uh, is actually planned because I ultimately wanted to see what it looked like outside of Joe Burrow. Right now, Brock Purdy is in second place with thirty five percent, and then Jared Goff is at zero percent, which is I think a little bit of a joke. And you have Jalen Hurts at 4%. And obviously, the remaining 62% lie with Joe Burrow. The only thing that I would say that I, that I understand where the other colleague, I'll call him colleague of mine, might come from 
is the division and the, the division and conference that they play in, right? The AFC North is a damn good conference. Until, but I would argue until it isn't, right? The AFC West was supposed to be a damn good division, and it just never really has been. Yeah. The Denver Broncos have never lived up to the hype. The Chargers have never lived up to the hype. The Raiders had one year where, yes, they went to the postseason, lose to the Bengals, really haven't been worth the hype ever since. And then you clearly have the, the cream of the crop in the league and the, uh, the Chiefs. But the AFC North, are they going to be let's – play, let's play the game that is off the bench, right? Are sure. they better or are they worse going into next year? Or is the Baltimore Ravens going to be better next year? Is the Browns going to be better next year? The Bengals and then obviously the Steelers. As crazy as it is, we had three starting quarterbacks in this division get hurt this season. I don't think as good as it was this year, I think it still it wasn't as close to the pinnacle of what it could be. I, I think if Kenny Pickett is somehow able to figure out how to throw a football, I think if Deshaun Watson is able to capture some of of the talent he once had uh, in Houston. And obviously Joe Burrow was hurt. I think I think it's absolute the talent level is absolutely going to go up. I think it's going to be better next year. It's going to be more competitive. Uh, and you might say, well, that that's harder for you to, to get to a Super Bowl. But I would argue that if you're able to win in that division, you are Super Bowl ready when you get to the postseason. Any opponent that you face uh, will be essentially nothing compared to what you've already faced during the year six times. Casey. Yeah, I'm I'm with that that thought. Um, I mean, we're we're talking about a couple teams that were missing guys like Nick Chubb, um, missing guys like uh, Deshaun Watson for periods of time. There was uh, a period, a stretch of period where T.J. Watt was hurt. Um, I mean, the that entire Pittsburgh offense couldn't get much worse. It's only going to improve with a new offensive coordinator. Um, adding new pieces, probably a new quarterback situation, I would imagine, um, sometime soon. I think that division is going to be a lot tougher, um, including the fact that Joe Burrow was gone for half of it. I mean, I think everyone – I think three three of the four teams have have now a uh, a better chance to improve next season with all their players healthy. You go into a a season assumingly healthy, got to hope – that help us. But. What's the what's the biggest yeah. concern with the Bengals? Is it the defense? Is it the fact of what Burrow yeah. looks like when he comes actually back? Because um, I don't know if that's been talked about a whole lot, and I don't know if it's something that should be. Obviously, most times with modern surgery and modern techniques on, on, on how to go about rehabbing, you don't really find yourself in a position more times than not of not being the same as you were before you came back. Hell, there's guys that get, they get Tommy John surgery. Now, I'm not saying that his the wrist injury and Tommy John's the same thing, but there's guys that get Tommy John surgery now, and it used to be a career-ending injury, and now guys are coming back better than they were before. Um, so, But from a Bengals perspective, are you more concerned about the defense or what Burrow looks like when he comes back from injury. I'm worried about Joe Burrow. I that's I, again, I don't want to give him the injury prone uh, label, uh, but it does seem that way. And maybe it's not his fault, yada yada yada. But the fact of the matter is, he needs to play more. And, and if we're gonna have a chance at all next season, at all, he's gonna have to play at least what is it, 16 of the 17 games, and hopefully that 17th game doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, Joe, Joe Burrow is my number one concern. The defense is certainly an area of concern. 
But I think Jake Browning was, I mean, uh, was was pretty damn close to taking this team to the playoffs. Uh, and obviously, he's not even close to Joe Burrow. So, Burrow's my guy. Yeah, that's why I'm not concerned about Joe Burrow's because we, we've got a good solution there for if and when Joe Burrow uh, happens to take a step back or, or has an injury issue. Um, we have that good backup quarterback answer. My concern is going to be the defense. I think that that took a massive step back, an unforeseen step back, um, going from a top 10, almost a top five defense to the bottom of the league is a bit of a shock, bit of a shock. Um, you might say that some of it had to do with Joe Burrow not being healthy. Like there, it's more intricate than that, you know, for a defense. They need a good offense to, to keep them off the field. But man, it looked it looked like night and day. I mean, it, there was there were some serious issues going on with our defense scheme wise. Uh, the starting linebackers didn't play great. The rookies in the secondary they are a bit of an unknown. You don't know what you're gonna get with that just yet. There's more unknowns on defense than there are on offense. I I don't have any question marks about Joe Burrow. I know what Joe Burrow is now. An injury might might derail his career. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be a wrist injury, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's not it's not an ACL. It's a, a wrist. It's not something that you're going to be – that's going to affect your yeah, game it's, I mean, th it's a throwing wrist, though. So um, I would say that would affect. And listen, I, I, if I were to put odds on the fact that the wrist was going to make him a different quarterback, I don't think those odds should be great. I, I, Joe Burrow will come back and look – similar if not the same as he has before the ultimate question comes down to can he find the same rhythm that he's had before can he find the 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 confidence to feel like there's not going to be something outside of that and you know for all intents and purposes the way that he's performed early in his career and the way that he's performed throughout his entire career in big is in big moments would would make me to believe that joe burrow is not going to have any problems coming back and playing without you know fear if you want to call it that all right um we have our good friend Kegel Nicholson with the Bearcat Journal in the wings waiting to talk about uh, UC basketball. UC basketball is in a situation now where they have what I would call control. That is until they don't. They have a few, a few big games left. Obviously, you have the conference tournament. And unlike the American, where if you were to lose a big game, maybe against, say, Houston, and maybe, say, against Memphis... And maybe, I don't know, we could, let's, let's be fair to the American for half a second. Maybe we could include Wichita, maybe when they were at the peak of their season. But my point is, is that there's just not a whole lot of big wins to come by in that league. The good news, obviously, with the Big 12, maybe more than anything is, is yes, the league's tough, this, that, and the other. But you can find a way to where if you can play good basketball for a specific stretch of a season, two to three weeks, you can rattle, an all, you can rattle off enough big wins to get yourself in a spot to give yourself a puncher's chance come Selection Sunday. And, and in years past, that's just not been the case. If you didn't beat Houston, if you didn't beat Memphis, and you didn't win the conference tournament, that was it. You are going to the NIT, and that was, uh, that was basically the destiny for your program. Now, you can make the case for this UC team that if they were to just get hot from here, obviously moving forward for a couple weeks, that they're going to be in. They win tonight. They obviously take care of uh, what we would call the lower-level teams in the Big 12, and they're more than likely in. Currently, Joe Lenardi has them on the uh, first four out, I believe, and I think he just updated that. 
But regardless, they have a big game tonight against Iowa State. All right, Keegan, I'm going to bring you in here. I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked maybe most of my UC Bearcat friends. And that is, of all of the guys that obviously they continue to rely upon, which guy, in your opinion, hasn't shown his peak ceiling yet? Right? They have a, a plethora of young guys, yes. You have maybe Newman, who you could argue has been the most consistent of all of them. So maybe he's not the guy to, to be answering this question because maybe he's hit towards the ceiling. Which guy in your mind do you think just has not reached his full potential yet and could be the difference down the stretch? I think it's an interesting question because Victor Locken to start non-conference play was a good player. He was making threes, which he hadn't done his entire career. He was converting down low and he provided a physical presence on defense. But lately, he's kind of just been non-existent on both sides of the ball. He had some big effort plays in, against Texas Tech, which helped them win that game. Uh, but he's 0 for his last 11 for 3, and he feels – or he at least looks like he's comfortable shooting from, from beyond the arc. But he just isn't converting, and he's had some bad misses. And I never – you never could have told me that fans at Fifth Third Arena would cheer – for a guy being taken out of the game because they were so upset with how he was playing. And I still think Vic is one of the better players on this team. And I think that this offense is really missing him. And, you know, if you're relying on only Aziz Bandago uh, defensively in terms of your bigs, that's going to hurt you. So the thing that they were relying on a lot was the depth at the big position, rebounding and defense. Jameer Reynolds offers offense, kind of struggles defensively. So if they can get Vic back, a guy who's pretty good on both sides of the ball, I think that their their potential and their ceiling gets even higher. And what they've been able to do with him struggling, it, it just shows what they would be doing if he was if he was playing good. You know, you almost beat Houston. They get out to an 11-1 rebounding advantage, take a 17-4 lead. Cincinnati comes back and takes the lead before half. But – you had to battle back so much that Houston was able to take control of the game. Yeah, you find yourself in a scenario now with with, with being West Miller that you have a guy like uh, Victor who has showed promise, right? He's one of the guys that mm -hmm. we've talked about this before where you would assume that maybe at the beginning of the year that you were going to lean on him maybe more than some of these younger guys. But if you watch the Houston game, you, you have to ask the question, hey, is it smarter to maybe have four guards out on the floor, three to four guards out on the floor? You have Jigel James, you have Day-Day Thomas on the floor at the same time, and it seems like there was a spark there. It seems like something picked up when Victor left. How much more wiggle room does Victor get, in your opinion, between, hey, we think this guy's this, but he's not really proven it consistently over a stretch of time in Big 12 play? That's the argument that, that is laid out, is that is it a, a fact of competition level and when he looked good, or is it a fact that he's just not playing up to a standard and really we need him regardless, so we're going to play him until the wheels fall off? I think it's what you just said. I think it's that they need him regardless. Um, to play their best basketball and to kind of contend in the Big 12 tournament or the NCAA tournament, Victor Locken's going to have to be performing. I think Wes Miller, when he goes through times of struggle – he really defaults in instilling confidence in his players. It's why he didn't cave to everyone wanting Jizzle James to start and not Day-Day when Day-Day was kind of struggling. 
He stuck with Day Day and stowed confidence, let him go through the trials. Now, he's been one of the better players on both sides of the ball the last four or five games. I think this is just a tough stretch for Vic, and I think he has to get his confidence back. I think there might be a little bit of overthinking in terms of he thinks he has to play perfect. I don't think he has to make four threes a game for this team to be good. I think he can make one, keep the keep the defense honest, and then he's a really good passer too. I'd like to see him use that passing ability to get the ball down low to Aziz Bendego, um, get the guards moving. But, you know, regardless of the fact, what you said about the two guards, Jizzle and Dede being out there, it's a they've looked good when that's happened. And, you know, Vic has been starting the games, but you saw against Houston, Dan Skilling started the second half. So if there's going to be a shakeup, I think it would be Dan Skilling's to start. But Vic would still get a good amount of minutes because Wes Miller has been to hell and back with Victor Locken. And I don't think that he's willing to just give up on him after a few tough games stretch. So to read between the lines and maybe hear what you're saying, it wouldn't be a shock tonight if Skilling started and there was more of a – it's not so much that they're giving up on Vic as much as it is maybe an opportunity from a psychological perspective to try to take a little bit of pressure off of Vic and, and see if they can't get Vic, get him back into the flow of the game. You mentioned Jizzle. Jizzle played 20 minutes uh, against Houston. That was, the I think, the, the most minutes he had played since December – in your opinion, do you think Jizzle has earned the right and expects the right to play upwards of 20 minutes a game now moving forward, or is that something just kind of a, a one-off? I think if they're going to go one point guard on the floor most of the game, it's going to be about 25 to 15 with Day-Day getting the bulk of the minutes. But if they're going to go two guards, I think he's earned the right as someone who can score and has continued to develop defending as the season has gone on, that he could get that 20-minute mark. Um, I think Wes is very, very confident with him late in games, giving him the ball late in games and telling him to go score. And his ability opens things up for Seamus Lukosius and Dan Skillings to get threes. Um, and then him and Dede Thomas just gives you that yin and yang of defense to offense. So I think Wes... West was not overall pleased about not having any really seasoned point guards on the roster. He was very clear that they had the right guys at the start of the season, but they went after some really experienced Division I point guards. So you come into the season with a true freshman and a junior college transfer. But I think what you've gotten out of these two guys has really exceeded expectations. Um, especially for a head coach who's really, really critical of his guards and one of the and the toughest conference in the country. So I think they've went through a lot of tough struggles. But what Jizzle has shown, all he's shown is that he could be one of the better point guards Cincinnati has had in the past 15 to 20 years up there with Kashmir Wright and David DeJulius if he continues to develop and if Cincinnati can keep him here. All right, Keegan, uh, a couple quick questions uh, left for you. Appreciate your time. One, before we get into the uh, kind of the micro level, which is the game tonight, bigger picture. Wes, for all intents and purposes, this program, for all intents and purposes, has come a long way. Many people would agree, hey, the John Brandon days, uh, it was relatively dark towards the end, certainly. Now you find yourself in a spot, the first year in Big 12 play. Most UC fans before the year started, they would have said, hey, I don't, you know, we're probably not there yet. We're not ready yet. But they find themselves in a lot of close games. They're competing in a lot mm -hmm. of close games. It's almost like the goalposts, the expectations have moved a little bit. 
Do you think personally that this UC program is a little more ahead of schedule than maybe they thought going into the season, or is it right where they're at? Or do you think that they're disappointed that they haven't got over what Wes has called the proverbial hump a few times this season? I think they're ahead of schedule. Um, I think what they've been able to capitalize on in terms of their transfer portal additions and the development of some of their guys puts them ahead of schedule. Like I just mentioned, I don't think they expected Jizzle James to be as good as he's been. I don't think they expected Dan Skillings to be one of those top scorers on the team. Um, and then Jamil Reynolds and Aziz Bandego have helped a lot. But this, I think Wes has been searching for an identity during his time at Cincinnati. And they found it this year that it's defense and rebounding. They've lost the rebounding battle three times this season. Um, if they can win that, they've proven that they can stay in games. And then it comes down to the last two or three possessions. And at some point, you just have to get a bucket. And you, that's what you saw Jamal, Jamal Sheed do for Houston. It's what you saw Max A. Smith do for Texas against UC. I think that's what they're missing right now is a bucket getter. And then they could win a few more games, makes a big difference in terms of you're comfortably getting into the tournament or you're on the bubble like this UC team is right now. Um, but in terms of, you know, where they're at in terms of compared to Brandon and where Wes is, I think they've gotten back to the tough physical nature of Cincinnati basketball. And I tell people this all the time. I grew up watching this team, the Mick Cronin years, I think, um, I never really remembered watching Lance Stevenson play. So my introduction was more Sean Kilpatrick, Yancey Gates, Kashmir Wright. I did not know that there were supposed to be like 65 and 70 points scored in a college basketball game. I thought it was always like 52 to 46, just gut punches, rock fights, uh, defensive battles. And I think that Cincinnati, they're not necessarily getting back to that point. But you're going to come in and you're going to be exhausted after you play this Cincinnati team. And it's going to take a toll on you. And I think that's what this fan base wants, and that's what they've been used to over the past 20 to 30 years. Yeah, the act that you just mentioned moved out to uh, UCLA. Um, so if you want to continue to watch that type of basketball, Keegan, good news is you can stay up late. You can watch the Pac-12 <laughs> Network. You watch UCLA, my friend, and you'll get right back to that rock fight. Yeah. Uh, all right, final question here. Tonight, they have a big game. They have an opportunity to get what I think would be Wes's – you can correct me if you think I'm wrong. I think it would be Wes's easily his biggest win, home win of his career since he started uh, coaching for the UC Bearcats. What do you think they have to do tonight, if anything different, to win a game and get over the hump? They're going to have to make shots. This Iowa State team is a good defensive team, third in the nation, according to Ken Palm. But I talked to one of my buddies who writes for their website that covers Iowa State for 247, and he said, TJ Ulzelberger, he, he bets on college players not being able to make three-point shots. So they're gonna, they're gonna, there's going to be some open shots for this Bearcats team to make tonight. And I just think if, if you can win the rebounding battle, which they've done most of the times, and then uncharacteristically – shoot 35, 38% from three, um, I think they'll be in They'll be in a good spot. Uh, I think C.J. Frederick's return is a really interesting note. Played three minutes against Houston. Wes said, look, this is possibly the toughest game you can come back to in the entire country after missing a month due to injury. So Iowa State is in a much easier game. But you give him another week, he's kind of familiar getting back into the flow of things. I think if he can space the floor – take some pressure off CMOS Lukosius. The shooting is going to be there for this Cincinnati team. And they have some veterans and some experienced players 
who are starting to shoot the ball better. So I think 35, 40% from three, shoot over 75% from the free throw line, and then do your thing on the boards, do your thing defensively, and I think they'll be able to come out with a win. All right, uh, one final question, and it would have to come from the biggest J that we have here at Chatterbox Sports, and that's Elliot Rearing. Elliot, what question do you have for Keegan? Hi there, Keegan. I'm Elliot. Nice to meet you. Uh, I really love your work Hi, on the Bearcat Journal. Listen, I, my, my boss, uh, Trace Anthony Fowler, he, he has the opinion that the UC football program, and I, and I hate to switch it up on you like this, but he's, he has a thought that the UC football program, program would have been saved had they had the gumption, had they had the intestinal fortitude to hire Deion Sanders. Now, most of us with um, brain power know that that probably wasn't an option. But last week, there was some noise on the Pat McAfee show that we could have had Chip Kelly. Is that report blatantly false? Or is there somewhat truth that the Bearcats could have had Chip Kelly as our head coach instead of Scott Satterfield? The report, you're going to get me on a soapbox here, Elliot. I'm so glad you asked me this question. Um, The report that they could have had Chip Kelly was blatantly false. Um, He did not have a formal interview for the job. And, I mean, you guys will know this. When there is a head coach opening, ADs will call around 30 to 40 people, and they'll say, hey, test in the waters, what do you think? So when they they say, hey, Chip Kelly, we're kind of interested. Chip Kelly says, yeah, me too, let me think about it. Comes back and says, you know what, after I thought about it, it's just not going to work. That was basically the extent of the conversation. That's where it ended. So um, I'm not going to name drop who went on the Pat McAfee show, but to say that it's that's a fact and it's not debatable and then have your statement immediately debated by four to five <laughs> really, really talented journalists who are really familiar with the situation, it just wasn't good. And it was a good uh, lesson for young journalists like me to not say absolutes if you're not absolutely sure. Um in terms of the Deion Sanders thing, when I was following that situation, I would have loved it. Um, I think he would have been a good hire. But Deion Sanders has a very, very big ego, and he wants to prove everyone wrong and middle finger the entire country. So I don't think he wanted to come to a Cincinnati who just had history. He could sell this program that just went to the college football playoff and recruiting. He wanted to say, you know what? Colorado was one of the worst Division I football teams in the country, and I saved it. So I did this. And I think he's kind of on the way to doing that. So I just don't think him at Cincinnati was a realistic thing. I, I don't, I'm not going to say he didn't have interest because he played for the Reds. He's familiar with the area. I just think he wanted the, cha- the hardest challenge he could have possibly gotten because that's who he is as a competitor. That's fair. That's very, that's very fair. Trace? All right. Thank you, Keegan. Appreciate your time. I will say there's two sides to every story. Hopefully the truth at some point will find out what it is with Chip Kelly. And at the end of the day, who knows if you really want a Chip Kelly. And uh, Satterfield, hopefully for his sake, he could get this thing turned around and he'll take all of those question marks and concerns and everything that people have about this UC football program and he'll put them to bed. But until then, hopefully the Cats get a win tonight. Enjoy your time down there at the arena. I'm sure you're going. And um, best of luck to you. Thanks, Keegan. Thank you, Keegan. Thanks, Chase. Thanks, guys. See you. Alrighty. See you, man. All right. So there you have it. Um, you know, there's a couple things that stick out. One is that it's uh, it's that it's weird because Lombardi is obviously the guy he's talking about who said what he said on McAfee's show. And 
it, it when he said it, he said it as almost he got it straight from Chip yeah. Kelly. And here's the thing. <laughs> I guess I don't I've hesitated to say what I'm gonna say. Everybody's going to tell the side of the story that they want to be true, right? How many people actually know whether or not Chip Kelly was going to get an opportunity to be the head coach at UC or not, and whether or not UC wanted to extend an opportunity or not? The only people that really know that are Cunningham and Chip Kelly. Am I wrong for saying that? Uh, I, I, I would say that the journalists that cover directly cover uh, Cincinnati athletics would know whether or not they had an interview with Chip Kelly. I, I, I think that that is the case. I, I, again, this is no disrespect to anybody on the Pat McAfee show, but I think going out and saying that was for entertainment purposes. I think it was to get some clicks, uh, and they certainly got him. So, no, I, 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 especially when you're talking about Chip Kelly going to Ohio State, Ohio State and Cincinnati, close proximity, uh, one, has, has, you know, a destination in the same re relative area. Uh, I, I think that's why he said it. I think it was yeah, a bit of an exaggeration. I, there were talks of Chip Kelly. That's not that's not what anybody was saying. But there was no official interview. Let that's me push back. Let, let me push back. I, well, here's what here's what I'm saying is okay. that is that really only Cunningham? Maybe he's releasing this in, information to obviously the constituents that he's always around. Right? That's clearly what could be done. There's an opportunity. There's, there's a chance. There's a small chance. And I'm not saying this is a fact. But to sit here and act like oh, just because the Bearcat Journal and Chad has information and yes they're more privy to know what's going on in that cincinnati program as a whole than than my uh, lombardi whatever was the name mike i don't know but anyway lombardi as a whole who went on the mcafee show all i'm saying is that if he has a special relationship with chip kelly and chip's like hey i really wanted the uc job they called me we had a initial conversation of interest and then all of a sudden they called me back and they were just like no nah, we, we you know we're not interested anymore that's more than that's more than possible that's more than possible. Uh, and then on top of that, and no, no, no. On top of that, you could have gone to the, you could have gone to where Cunningham would have said after the fact. Now, when there's reports back, how many people? This is where. Okay, sorry, but I'm gonna do it. How many people knew Satterfield was getting hired? How many people in this neck of the woods was on this story from the get-go? Nobody knew anything. Nobody had knew anything. There wasn't one local journalist in Cincinnati that had a list with Satterfield on there. So I'm supposed to think that they had they knew exactly what was going on? They don't, don't know they didn't know nothing. I, I I don't think they knew everything that was going on, but I think if that if Chip Kelly was conducting interviews that people would know about it. I, I and again, I think maybe there was certainly contact between them, as Keegan said, as there always is. Hey, you want to come? What, what are your thoughts on the University of Cincinnati? Any chance you'd come here? Yada, yada, yada. Uh, I, I don't think that there was a serious conversation. I don't even know why Chip Kelly would want to come here. It's How a, could it's, you say that? It's, a, it's, it's an inferior program with significantly less money. Okay, can we talk about that then for a second? I'm so sick and tired of hearing UC fans talk about how their program is inferior well, when they know. just went to the college football playoff, one. And two, now they're playing in the league, a league, mind you, that is stable, but is also a league, quite frankly, that is going to be one of the easier leagues of all leagues to get to the college football playoff again. Do you want to go to Wisconsin? You want to go to Wisconsin? You, you're gonna, you, what are you going to march through the Big Ten at Wisconsin? You're going to go through Ohio State? You're going to go through USC? You're going to go through Oregon? You're going to go through Michigan? You're going to go through Penn State? You're going to go through Iowa if they can ever figure out how to throw the football forward and actually get more than one first down a game? 
I'm just saying to suggest to me that UC is a much worse program than UCLA is completely false. I think in terms of in, in terms of dollars and cents, I think it is. I think UCLA makes more money than UCLA. Well, what's Chip Kelly making? What's Chip What is Chip let's Kelly making out. at Ohio State to be an offensive coordinator then? By the way, let's also not act like Chip Kelly just left UCLA and went to it's Columbus, awesome. Ohio, which is not too far from Cincinnati, Ohio, to be an offensive coordinator. So yeah, maybe he just wasn't happy where he was at. So well, he, he went to six... Boston College now, right? No, I mean, that, he... that's that's uh, Callahan, the offensive right, coordinator sorry, at Ohio State. Went yeah. to went to six, Boston College. He made, he made six million as a head coach at UCLA. Let's find out what he makes at Ohio State. It looks like it's going to be two years, or, or sorry, two million. So he's making two million at Ohio State. Correct. So he took a four million dollar uh, decrease in pay to leave his situation. What's Satterfield making? Let's see. And again, I, I, I think you might be right. Maybe not everybody knows everything. Three and a half mil. Satterfield makes So he's a making mil. a million and a half more than, than, than Chip Kelly's making right now. So that argument's completely debunked. Well, I don't know if that's debunked, though, because I think if Chip Kelly and he hears the writing on the wall with uh, Ryan Day, I think Chip Kelly would be promoted to head coach, no? I think that might be factoring into his decision that if, if Ryan Day gets fired, if he's unable to beat this – trash Michigan team that they're going to throw out this year if he's unable to beat them Ryan Day certainly would be on the hot seat so you're suggesting that Chip Kelly's gonna be the next head football coach at Ohio State because he went there to be the offensive coordinator and they failed I'm saying that might have been a factor in his decision I think that might have factored into his decision that he could that there that he could advance to being the head coach of the premier football program in the country all right I mean that's not very good logic there because yeah it's pretty bad logic but that's okay it's all right why is that why is that bad logic because Ellie, if they lose because to Michigan, she, yeah. why would they promote their offensive coordinator? I don't know. That I'm lost saying, to I'm Michigan. Like that. I, you, everybody has their own reasons. Just like we don't know if we had a conversation, you don't know Chip Kelly's reasoning. Uh, that, was the only, that was the only case and point that I'm making, is that everybody's jumping at the fact that this Lombardi guy is lying and saying, well, he's not telling the truth. You don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Unless you literally are Chip Kelly and you are literally John Cunningham. Those are the two people that are absolutes. They know for a fact of whether or not there was a conversation had about whether he's... And here's the, here's the other part of this, and we'll move off of it because I don't know how people actually care about this, is that um, UC might not be in a better place if they had Chip Kelly anyways. I mean, I know that people are not big fans of Satterfield right now, and rightfully so. He's not really done a whole lot to get you excited, but at the same time, he's only been there for one year. And he got there late, and it really hasn't been a fair evaluation of what he can do. All right, that's UC football, and uh, I did not have that on the agenda or the line items of things to talk about today. But, hey, here we are. Um, Must-win game for the Bearcats tonight. I think that that is an absolute fact. I didn't get a chance to ask Keegan that. But you still think there's a pathway forward here really quickly before we wrap up this segment on the UC Bearcats yeah. that uh, inevitably will be sponsored by Encore Technologies. <laughs> do, you, do you have anything to say about the fact that you think that this is not a must-win? You don't want to say it's an absolute. If it's not an absolute, the only thing I'll say, Elliot, is they better make the semifinals of the conference championship. Yeah, I, we have three conference wins or four conference wins. So I, uh, you need five more, roughly. I think five, nine is the magic number. Uh, you lose this, you play UCF on the road. UCF is certainly beatable. I don't even know if that, I don't. I think that's a quad. Two I don't quad know if that's game. certainly. It's going to be a quad one game. First of all, um, UCF I wouldn't say on the that road. UCF on the road. Yeah, it's not quad one. You, how sure are you of that? 
They're not top 30 in the country. They don't need to be top 30. They need to be top 70 in the country on the way on the, on the road. That's quad one to top 70? We'll, 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 we'll fact check this after the show. We don't see this live. I don't think that's, You don't, don't, don't need to win a top 30 anyway, game on the road. Somebody anyway, in the chat will probably know before we do, but anyway. I'm just saying there's no way a quad one game only consists of a road game if you win and it's in, the, in their top 30 in the country. That's, there's just no way. Uh, anyway, well, it is for home. I, I could be wrong for on the road. Anyway, you beat UC. You beat you. What is it? I'm sure it's one through fifty. One there through fifty. Go. That makes more sense. Okay, so it still wouldn't be. I don't think. I don't know. I could be wrong. UCF on the road. All right. Uh, that's a win. Oklahoma State at home have to win it. That's two. TCU on the road. I'll give you a loss. Houston on the road loss. I think you can beat Kansas State at home. I think you can beat at Oklahoma, and I think you can beat at West Virginia. Or at, excuse me, home against West Virginia. I think there is absolutely still a path for the Bearcats if they lose this game. Now, the question becomes, can are, are they even capable of doing it if you lose this many conference games? And you know it's going to be close. You know the final score of this game is going to be within five points. The Bearcats are two-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. Uh, so I, I, I think it, it's, more of a, it's more of a question or a concern that you're good enough to compete, but you're not good enough to win these games. Uh, and and that's where my biggest concern lies. But it, no, I, I wouldn't say this is a must win. All right. So this, this, then, then, then here's, not yet. Then, okay. Then I would say this is the same argument that, I, that that could be made. And again, I'm using I'm using something that many people might not remember. But if you do, great. You'll maybe you'll like this analogy. The Cincinnati Reds were playing a home game. Okay, the last home game of the season against the Minnesota Twins. I don't know if you remember that, Elliot, but we were there, and we went to that game, and they were in a position where I considered it to be a must win. Now, clearly, if they won the rest of their games out, they went to Cleveland and they swept Cleveland and they went to uh, uh, St. Louis and they swept St. Louis, you can make the argument that, you know, they could backdoor their way into this thing. But in all intents and purposes, we were it was a home game that you felt like that the Reds had a good chance to win. They sh- should win is a strong word, but it was a toss-up game, 50-50 game. This is the same situation tonight for UC. If they don't win tonight's game, they will have an uphill battle moving forward, trying to get themselves a backdoor way to get in the tournament. And they're going to have to do something that they've not been able to really do all year long, which is beat, you know, what I would consider really good top-end teams on the road. Now, they beat some teams on the road, but I wouldn't call them top-end teams. Texas Tech, is that the best win we have on the road? Uh, BYU. BYU is uh, the best winner on the road, so I take that back. BYU's damn good. Pretty good, yeah. I'll, uh, give, I'll give him that. I, I, again, I, I think there's a, a concern if you lose this game where it's you're just not good enough. You're good to compete. You're not good enough to win. And, and that's, that would be my biggest concern. But, no, I don't – again, must win. Uh, I, I, I'm not worried about that. I, I just want to see – I'd like to see some improvement. You asked Keegan about the consistency, having one guy. And, I, and I, you've, you've seen enough Bearcats basketball up until this point. Um, but I'm still, I'm still trying to debate on who the guy is I want at the end of the game. Who's the guy – for you see that you want the ball in his hands with 10 seconds down by a bucket. Who do you want? And, and I'm trying to think, and I still don't have an answer. I think the closest answer I have is John Newman just because of how consistent he's been. He's able to drive to the bucket. He's able to get to the free throw line. He's able to hit a big three when you need it. And I don't know. I, I see Mas Lukosius, God love him, but he, he plays every minute of every game, and then he doesn't really contribute a ton offensively at times. He had six points, one of them a banked-in three against Houston. 35 minutes of play. Aziz, again, he's got one play. He's got one offensive play, and that's to get an alley-oop. That's it. He has no he has no post move. He has nothing. Outside of that, Jamil Reynolds looks like he can't play offense. Hasn't been great. He can dunk, 
But if it's not a wide-open dunk, I'm concerned. Dan Skillings looks like a guy who can take over a game. He had nine points in the first half against Houston, goes away, scores four in the second half. I'm still looking for that guy, and we're too far into the season to be looking for that guy. That's my biggest concern here, is that we don't have, quote-unquote, the guy, and Keegan kind of mentioned it. Who is the guy? I think Victor Locken was the name that people would have said before the year. We have now known that, at least up until the last six games, he's four for 28 from the field. He's not the guy. He could be a guy, but he's certainly not the guy. And that's, and that's what I don't know at this point. I, I'm hoping maybe Jizzle can, can light a fire under his ass. I think Jizzle's last game was phenomenal. I think he should get 20 minutes a game. I think Day-Day is a great defender, one of the best on the team, maybe the best on the team. John Newman's elite as well. Yeah, I mean, but listen, Harrow's in the chat trying to crush me, saying, who have they beat on the road? They have two wins. They have two wins. They have two big wins all year long. I'm going to sit around here and act like they've beat, they've beat nobody at home ever. Ever, Harrow. Ever. They beat TCU. That's your biggest win in the West Miller era. Ever. And you want to sit here and act like, oh, it's not a big, we don't, this isn't a big game. No big game. Not a big deal. We got more on the road. We'll go to Houston. We'll take care of them. You are? You, I just watched you play Houston at home, and you, and you basically, it took uh, an incredible game after Vic left to be able to get back in the game. And yeah, you had a chance at the end, but you've not won anything. And you want to see your neck like, oh, uh, it's, if, if you don't win tonight, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you UC fans this. If you don't win tonight, I'll bet anybody that wants to bet it. Right? And, and yes, I'll bring your money in because you think at some point that it's a lie. I'll bet anybody they want. $500, UC will not make the tournament if they don't make the conference, uh, the conference semifinals. So you're saying, well, yeah. And I, good luck getting to the conference semifinals of the Big 12, by the way. In a league that you've beaten who, exactly? Uh, yeah. I, I get it. You're going you're gonna to point back to a big win at BYU, which was how long ago? Yeah, but like TCU's no slouch. I, I, I mean, I, some of these, I think you're writing off some of these games a little bit. But yeah, I, I, I think the point of the, the fact of the matter is they've been in every single basketball game they've played. Every single one. So when you say good luck getting to the semifinal, I'd argue good luck getting to the semifinal if you're Kansas, who hasn't won outside of Fog Allen Fieldhouse in a month. I'd say good luck to any single team in this conference. Houston hasn't lost conference games ever up until this year, and they've lost several. So I, I think it's just a testament to how good this conference is, how competitive it is, and I would argue that gives UC a better chance in the conference tournament. Uh, I, as far as needing to have a home win like this, I agree with you. I, I, Wes Miller, again, not to fault on his own. It's no fault of his own, but the, po the program was torched. He didn't have talent, and you played in a conference with losers. And I say that with love and respect to the American, but South Florida at home on a Tuesday doesn't get the people going. So it's, yeah, you have to win one of these games at home. I think it's important uh, to say that you did it. But I'm not going to sit here and say when you lose to a top three team in the country at home that it's some sort of devastating loss. It's not the world's worst loss when you lose the number three Houston at home by five points. I didn't say that one was. I'm talking about tonight specifically. I know, but you said, like you said, you lost Houston. You could have won it. I, I think, again, it's, yeah. it's a tough game. Well, you could. You, you could <laughs> Texas Tech's now a top 25 team. They just Every, beat them on the road. Okay, so, so uh, what Big 12 games aren't tough then? Every single one except for West Virginia, who we lost to. And even, even West Virginia who is now healthy. is So we're going to automatically just say that every team we play is, 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 is quote-unquote tough. I would say most of them, yeah. I would, I would say a majority. And that's not my opinion. That's the uh, opinion of the Ken Palm, the Nets, anything like that. I would say that would back my, back my play. And you were right, by the way. It is top 75 on the road yep. uh, is quad one. That, that was, you were right about that. I was wrong. 
So, yeah, I, I think I th- the conference is tough. Let's try to win the game. Let's just try to win it. Let's try to win it, and if we lose it, we'll talk about it. But uh, I, I think you have a good opportunity here to get right back on track, get into that projection line of being cemented in the tournament. Fair Ma- enough. Mathematically, they are not – the, this is not the game that eliminates them from the tournament. Correct. That's what that's mathematically. Well, they're not eliminated they, they could until they sneak lose a the win. conference tournament. Well, yeah, but they could statistically speaking. Statistically, of they could sneak a win from Houston and they'd be right. right back on track. But the odds of that, like this, is a must-win game in my mind, just because it's at home. You gotta win your home games, right? Like you don't have you don't have the opportunity to really afford to lose these home games. I mean, I, I, sure, you have to win your home games, but you're playing top ten teams in the country every week, so I don't know what that means. Eventually, I'd like to see one, but I'm not going to sit here and fault West Miller. We don't have a, we don't have a guy that consistently scores, and that's our issue. So going forward, you see, I would I'm not going to call it a must win. I'd say I'd like to win. How about that? It's here's what like I here's what I would say. Of all the games they have remaining that you could put on the resume as a big win, this yeah. is the most obtainable game they have. Sure. This is the most obtainable game they have. If you're going to try to convince me that they're going to go on the road, and again, maybe you could give us a UCF, but they're borderline a quad one game. I've seen in the chat they're what 67 in the net. Um, and you got to be top 70 to be to be so they could fall out of that quad one game depending on how they finish the season. At the end of the day, you only get so many opportunities at home for a big game that you could consider a resume building win. And this is one of the final ones for UC. Period. And if you think that you're going to, of course, they have a chance. It's the difference between the Big 12 and the in the American that they've had forever is that there are more chances if you are in the Big 12. No doubt about it. But I'll be interested to see how the Big 12 fares in, 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 in the tournament. I'm not suggesting that I think the Big 12's bad by any stretch of the imagination, but the Big 12's premier teams, if you want to call it that, and you can say whatever you want. I've watched the Big 12 for quite some time, and, and they're, they're not as good as they have been in the past. This is, a, this is a league that has national champions that, that have been between Baylor and Kansas the last few years. I don't see that this year. There's not a, an elite team in this league and maybe I would argue Houston's the best team in the league Houston came from the American so I do think that this league from a traditional sense is down now I could be proved wrong we'll see what happens in the tournament but to sit here and act to sit here and act like tonight is an opportunity for UC I'm not saying it's an opportunity well I know know you're not saying that but to sit here and act like I guess people get really mad when I say must win I understand that Maybe I shouldn't use the term must win, but if you don't win this one, it's like, when do you win? And that's, and that's a big concern. When that's, do you that's win? That's a fair question. When are you, you going to win? You're going to hang your hat at, 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 the, at, the, at Selection Sunday and say, well, we beat UCF on the road. You think that's Mr. Good, Chairman? All right. You know who has worse problems is maybe UK, UK basketball. Um, talk about this for just a moment, and then we'll get to the Reds. Um, and we'll do, we'll, do, uh, we'll do ad reads in just a second. Um, Calipari, to finish off college basketball talk for today, Calipari is, a, is in a spot now where UK fans are showing frustration like they've never done before. Now, yes, they've been frustrated, and it's been kind of rumblings. It's the same stuff with Zach Taylor in a way. That's the way I've perceived it. You're always going to have fans that are not pleased with the head man in charge unless you win a championship. And Calipari's won championships, but now he's at a place – and he's chose to go there, a blue blood program that 
Unless you're winning championships every other year, there's going to be somebody that's not happy. Um, let's start with Calipari's contract because people will say, oh, it's a lifetime contract, right? The name, that's the name that's been given to the lifetime contract, but really it was a 10-year contract, okay? Calipari, if he is fired after this season, will have a buyout of roughly right around $40 million, um, 30, $33 million. After next season, it'll go down to 27, then it'll go to 20, 13, and then six. Now, obviously, the buyout at this point is to a point where I think that it's in a reasonable, it's in a reasonable area that you could find the money in Kentucky. Um, the question is, is what happens to Kentucky if they go a different direction? There's a couple names that are out there that I would suggest that if Kentucky decides to do the, the, uh, the granddaddy firing of them all, there's one name in particular that can replace them. And there's only one name in my mind that would make sense to try, and that's Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens obviously went to Butler, had a great run at Butler, decided to go to the Celtics, was in the NBA for quite some time. You could argue whether or not you think that he's a guy that, that's uh, worthwhile of coming back. I think that that's it. Um, there's other obviously big name guys that could be bounce back guys, but I don't think any of those are relatively interested in coaching at Kentucky. Reed obviously points out in the chat, Jay Wright. Jay Wright retired from a great program where he was loved. He had the resources to win a national championship there. He won a national championship there. There's really no reason for him to want to come back and put himself in the swirl that is UK basketball. Now, many might say, well, like I have in the past, is it really time to fire Calipari? Is it realistic to fire Calipari? Um... The case in point that has come up to me is that at some point, when is enough enough to be able to fire somebody at a place that seems seemingly has resources that are uh, basically, I don't want to say they have the most resources in college basketball because I'm sure Duke and Kansas, them, but they, they for, for all intents and purposes, there's nothing that they won't go and do to make their basketball program the best. Yet underneath Calipari's tenure, they have the worst loss ever. That was against Evansville. They have the worst tournament loss in the history of the school. That was against St. Peter's. They have the worst season ever in 2020. And they have now the longest losing streak in Rupp Arena. All underneath Calipari. Some are saying Tubby Smith was fired for less. <laughs> Is that what they're saying? That's what they're saying. Okay. I... I have always given Calipari credit for being able to get the talent there. You can't fault somebody for being able to go out and recruit at the highest level that, that, that maybe this sport's ever seen. And then he gets the talent there and then turn around and use that very gift that he has against him and saying, well, look at all these guys he has. He can't win at all. Well, you probably wouldn't have had all those guys if it wasn't for him. Now we've gotten to the point where what is realistic in your mind moving forward for Calipari? If he doesn't make the tournament this year, I think that is more than a fair argument to be had that he could be let go. Maybe. But I, I would argue, I mean, you made the point there, and I think he's maybe a top five recruiter in the history of collegiate athletics. I, 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 we could certainly go into that, but I think him and Saban have owned recruiting for quite some time now. Uh, and I, I don't know what you're going to get to replace Calipari that would be
be better than him. I, you said Brad Stevens. I don't. Brad Stevens isn't. I don't think going to leave his role as president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics. I have a hard time believing that. Uh, I, and it's going to be impossible shoes to fill. If I'm going to be honest, it's going to be impossible shoes to fill. And, and this is the thing with expectations. When we, Bengals fans this year. Bengals fans have the expectations of Super Bowl, and it's why it's so frustrating to not make the postseason, and it's why everybody says fire Zach Taylor, yada, yada, yada. It's because of those high expectations. Kentucky is a blue blood, and, and when you have seasons like this, it gets everybody all wound up. The issue with Calipari is that for quite some time now, I would say his teams haven't been the, the cream of the crop of the sport, and that's what he initially set out to do. It's, it's what he initially did. For Kentucky, you knew, you knew Kentucky was always going to be that one to two seed, um, a one to four seed. You knew that going into every single year because his entire roster is going to be then drafted in the, for the NBA. Now it doesn't seem like that as much. Now it seems a little bit, uh, uh, not say worse, but it, I feel like it's a different age of Kentucky basketball. Where if you were to make the change, maybe now is the time. I think you're right. If if they if they collapse down the stretch here, maybe they don't make the tournament. I would say that would be the end of Calipari. You think if there was a if there was a top list of candidates that UK could go out and get that would make sense to to, to relieve Calipari of his duties. By the way, there's another nugget I want everybody to know. Um, this is quite remarkable, quite frankly. Uh, UK has had 22 opportunities. I'm trying to find my notes here. Um, let's see here. I, mean, I don't I don't want to mess this up because this is actually remarkable that this has happened. Um, 22 opportunities in the last possession of a game since 2020 to tie or win the game. And they've made one time. They've made a shot one time. Now, X's and O's. Here's the thing. Like, that might be coincidental, but I, I know this. If you, you could go through a plethora of college coaches, and if you give them an opportunity to draw up the last play 22 times, they're going to find a way to get a layup more than once. So maybe that is a little bit of a, of a black eye on Calipari's X's and O's. But you would think a guy like that would be able to be a CEO, right? You'd be able to be a CEO. You're the head coach. Yes, you make decisions on timeouts, this, that, and the other. But bringing in guys that are obviously offensive-minded to draw up plays in the huddle would possibly be something that he could do. And he probably has done that. And my apologies for not being so uh, dialed into the UK basketball program. But I do think Brad Stevens would come back and coach at UK. Yes, I do. I think Brad Stevens is in a position where he right now is just sitting and waiting. And he's waiting for the, one of the bigger blue bloods of the sport to come back. There's no reason for Brad Stevens. He's, he, has, he has been at the top. He, got, he brought a program, quite frankly, that was uh, mid-major at best. And he got them to a national championship, not just once. It wasn't a fluke. He did, it, he did it multiple times. And then on top of that, got him to a final four multiple times. And on top of that, he's sitting in a position now where he's allowed to wait. He's not, he's not in a position where he could get fired because of, of his you know, on-court performance of a, of a college basketball program somewhere else. Chris Mack, by the way, final nugget on college basketball. Chris Mack wants to come back. Um, and I think Ohio State would be a pretty good fit for Chris Mack. What about Louisville? What about what about the? the you think they would do that? Why not? Why no not way. run it back with Chris Mack? Let's do it. I think he's a damn good coach. I think Chris Mack's a damn good coach. So if if he if he were if he were to get rehired or hired by somebody else, I think that would be that would be fine. He's he's good at he's good at being a basketball. Uh, Brian B says in the chat he's had <laughs> last nine years zero one seeds at Kentucky. That's tough. It is tough. You know one thing that has happened though over the course of the last ten years 
is that I think the SEC has gotten significantly better at basketball. Way better. And I think that league has invested dollars and cents into those programs way more than they have in the past. So, 100%. you know, I'm not suggesting that that's a reason as to why Kentucky can go nine years without being a one seed, but I do think that that's part of the reason. And it, it helps if you're a, uh, what I would call, one of the top programs in the country. If you play in a bad league, then it's going to elevate you a little bit. The Mountain West, we don't have time for today to get into it, but the Mountain West is, is uh, as Spur Bear would say, our, our, our other boss around here, uh, he, he thinks they're the biggest frauds going in the sport. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen a guy hate uh, uh, hate something that he does no, he knows little to nothing about as much as Sean hates the Mountain West. They got to a championship last year. They did. So, I don't know. I, I think they've had a couple good teams. I, I think uh, I was having this debate with a buddy. I don't think... I don't think Boise is great. I don't think Boise is uh, as bad as Sean says, though. Yeah. But I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. We shall find out. Uh, a couple programming notes here right before we do some ad reads. Um, later tonight, you have Chatterbox Bearcats. And then after Chatterbox Bearcats, uh, there will be a Chatterbox Red Show. Pitchers and uh, catchers reporting today. We'll do uh, a quick little segment on them when we come back. But as always, we got to pay the bills around here, which means we send it to Casey McAllister. All right, the uh, Bearcat Report, what we did earlier, is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing modules to improve efficiency and productivity. Productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. Let me tell you about this lovely bottle of water right here. You hear that? It's Pawnee water. Made right here in Hamilton, Ohio. Uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water, and some say the best tasting water in the world. Visit Pawnee Water at P-A-H-H-N-I-Water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Get your coffee from UDF. Drink it. some Pawnee water. And uh, get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. I thought you were going to slip there. I thought you were going to say bet with somebody. No, no. I thought you were going to do it. No, I, you didn't. I don't, uh, I don't get that confused much anymore. But, um, yeah, we don't, we don't speak of that, that, uh, that brand anymore. That, what is that uh, brand? Mm, don't speak of it anymore. Anyways, we have uh, a members-only uh, live stream today, right. a, a gaming stream. Elliot will not be present for that, so we're trying to figure out what game to play. I think we're leaning towards COD or something like that. Um, let Reed or I know what you guys want in the chat, PUBG. and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll come up with something. Um, other than that, I don't think there's much else programming notes besides that and what Trace already alluded to, the Bearcats later with the uh, Cincinnati Reds following that um like the stream you got you got to like the stream yep. if you don't like the stream uh we're screwed so go on your computer right now or your phone or any anything you got go ahead and give us a little thumbs up give it a like maybe maybe comment am I maybe allowed say to... something silly Mark Fetters is the king of comments am I allowed to beg now now that uh yeah Tom's gone so you can beg yeah please I, please give us some likes so I we stay really employed that would be big of you we uh, want to grow. That would, that would be that would be very big of you. I, I do have a cherry. Can we do a cherry on top early? Can we, can we change that up too? Yeah. Let's okay, run the cherry on top real quick. What do you got for me? I sent it to you on Twitter. I should have done 
Uh, a red, a red that we all thought would be a red is no longer uh, available to be a red. That is because Jorge Soler has been officially claimed and signed. We've been waiting for these MLB free agents to start picking up steam a little bit, start signing their contracts. We got one of them. Jorge Soler. Jorge Soler has signed with the San Francisco Giants. They are in agreement on a three-year deal, $42 million. Uh, that seems like the, that was a good enough price for the Cincinnati Reds, if I could be wrong on that. Uh, $42 mil three-year, that's a pretty damn good deal, no? Are you asking me? I'm asking you, because that <laughs> seems that seems like a contract the Cincinnati Reds could have gone out and made. Now, obviously, it's in San Francisco. It's where the city's nice. Uh, the, Is it? I, well, the, they have a beach. And uh, I, I think, I don't know, I would have liked to see Jorge Soler. I guess we're, we're, again, this is a very good problem to have when you're the Reds. A very, very, very good problem when you have every single position locked and loaded except for center fielder. Um, outside of that, every, every single position stacked to the gills. But uh, good for Jorge Soler. I'll be interested to see where the rest of these guys go. Blake Snell, I'm very curious to see where he goes. Um, uh, Cody Bellinger, will he remain a Cub? I don't know. But again, I, it's just cool to see some of these free agents get signed. $42 million three years. It seems like a deal that was uh, cheap enough for the Reds. But what do I know? What do I know? I'm just a little old boy. I think it's fair. I think it's fair to to ask the question of is it was it in the Reds' best interest to offer the same deal? Um, ultimately, Solaire, off the top of my mind, uh, Elliot, you can pull this up and, and fact check it. But is he? He's, I know he's. Is he 33? How old is he? He is 34. 32. He, one. 31. 31. So it's that runs him to year 34. Yeah, I mean that's not that concerning. That's a, um, that's a power bat who wouldn't probably play a whole The only thing I would say about Solaire, to be fair, is yes, there's a lot of pop in that bat, but it's a, there's, a, there's a big hole in that bat as well. Um, and I'm not suggesting for any second that, that I didn't want Solaire because I, I, he was at the top of the list for me. But the truth of the matter is, is they went out and they thought that their more, their more desirable thing was to try to find flexibility. Um, I don't know how much flexibility Solaire would have provided the Reds. Uh, Candelario Probably provides, much, yeah. yeah, Candelario provides some flexibility. So then, therefore, you can mix and match and, and make lineups uh, that you would have never been able to make with Soler. Whether or not that's a good enough reason as to why you wouldn't have signed him, we'll find out. Maybe the Reds didn't think that he was going to produce at the level that 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 he was asking for as well. That's part of the that's part of the equation as well. Um, the one guy that that really that you know is still sitting out there and he's an unbelievable hitter is JD Martinez. Yeah. Um, I don't know what end of I know he's old. How old is J.D. Martinez? 35 maybe gotta be, at this point? Got to be 36. 36, 37. Who knows? All I know is he hits. The guy hits. 36. And he's 36 years old. So at some point, father time obviously catches up with everybody. But again, he for pri a, Primarily he plays DH though, I, I believe. Right? Yeah, but and, and I guess my point is, is that you could make... And I don't know how much he's asking for, but you could make the case and point and argument that if you go out and get a guy like J.D. Martinez, he's your D.H., maybe you sign him to a one-year deal, he gets an opportunity to play at Great American Ballpark, then obviously the Candelario signing isn't the same, then then you, you, could, you could convince yourself that maybe um, CES is the guy that you believe in, but he's going to play first base. But first base out of all the positions is usually one in which I'm not saying anybody can play it, but it's one of the more flexible opportunities that many people can try to slide into if you need to find a, a spot for them. Um, and then you could have convinced yourself that Solaire would have taken out, taken, taken an outfield spot, and then 
that that would have been a completely different lineup that you could have had. I think fourteen um, million a year is more than a fair price, though. So I think if the Reds were even considering it, fourteen million is is, is more than fair. And if if Martinez gets signed for twelve mil, I doubt that's the case. But twelve mil a year, I'd assume it'd be a one year deal for somebody. Uh, then again, that's another one I would I would like to have. But I we I had this debate the other day uh, with a friend. His name is Zach. How many of those signings have worked out for the Reds? When we go out and we get a bat, how many of those have worked out in the past 15, 20 years? Because I'm trying to think. And Nick Castellanos, Castellanos is the only one that comes to mind. Yeah, off the top of my head, obviously, and, I, and many, many of the devices in the Chatterbox Reds know this, there was a plethora of time that I was not, obviously, knee-deep into the, into the franchise. So um, I'm sure that the chat will, will, be, will be quick to let you know um, if, if there's somebody that, uh, that sticks out. There, the the big the biggest question ultimately comes down to me um, with with pitchers and catchers reporting today and the, the the kind of the segment I wanted to get into is 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 it going to be fair like what happens if nobody gets hurt and what happens if some of these guys throw well who goes obviously you have the 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 front line guys that everyone always talks about I kind of chuckle and I giggle and laugh a little bit because sometimes availability is your best ability and I don't know how much we can actually rely on any of these guys but let's just go through it for for the sake of an argument you have Hunter Green who probably many will consider the Cincinnati Reds ace like it or not you have Nick Lodolo usually second in line in there you have Graham Ashcraft at this point right and then from there you can start to make the case of you know who goes next uh, Andrew Abbott certainly sticks out as a guy that was relied upon a lot last season. They stretched him out. You'd like to think that they like him. But again, still a relatively young guy with not a lot of experience in the big leagues. Yeah, Brandon Williamson, who I think was the most consistent guy, which is crazy to say because his track record speaks of nothing but inconsistency. Um, for your case in point, someone brings up Shinsu uh, Shin, Shin Chu. Was, that was a trade. Uh, okay, so you're talking about just straight up, just straight up, signings. straight up free agency. Um, he was great, man. He was man, he was one of the best trades we've probably ever had. Chu was year. unbelievable. What one an unbelievable player. Um, I love Scott Rowland too. Um, outside the Giants' mistake, I get it. Um, where was I going? All right, so Connor Phillips is in this mix, and I know what you're gonna say. You can say it if you'd like. He is not a red. He's not going to be a red. Again, this is under your scenario where nobody gets hurt. He would not be. He would not be a red this year. In a per, in a perfect world where everybody's healthy and happy, he would not be on the roster. In my opinion, uh, he blew. He, again, this is no disrespect to him. He's a rookie. Give this guy five years, four years, whatever. Um, but obviously, his his most memorable start of last season was when he couldn't record an out in the last game of the season. Last meaningful game. And I'm going to need your help. I'm doing this off the top of my head right now. Yeah. Um, other, otherwise, Nick Martinez is a guy that people have brought up the opportunity of him starting. Um, I think, and again, I try to read between the lines. When I listen to guys talk, usually, usually the truth will lie within their speaking. Um, Nick, um, Nick Martinez is a guy that came over, and he had mentioned during his kind of little pressings that when he came over that one of the more exciting things that he liked when the Reds talked to him when he was being recruited by the Reds is that they brought up his starting pitching potential and that he could be a starter for the Cincinnati Reds and he was going to compete to be a starter for the Cincinnati Reds. And then, you know, a couple weeks go by and I'm down at Reds Fest and I'm listening to David Bell and I'm listening relatively intently and they ask the question about Nick Martinez 
And the first immediate thing that he brings up is that he loved the ability of having depth in the bullpen and how he loves the fact that Nick Martinez is going to be one of the guys that he can rely upon. And then it kind of clicked in his mind real fast. Oh, yeah, we did talk about him being a starter. And then he kind of quickly said, and he has the flexibility of obviously being a starter if, if, uh, if, if he throws the ball well, and that's, something, and that's an area of need. That's not a direct quote. I'm paraphrasing David Bell. But when you say something like that, it comes out to me, hey, we got this guy to be a reliever. The only way that Nick Martinez is going to start is if all, you know what, breaks loose. That's correct. And that is exactly what happened last year, to be fair, to the Cincinnati Reds. Right, in the past Nick, couple of years, yeah. Yeah, Nick Martinez. Well, I don't. I mean, past couple of years, it was it was hell on earth on I don't know, a couple of years ago. Well, twenty twenty one, it the the injuries rained down upon us. I think twenty nineteen, the injuries rained down upon us. It's happened quite some time now. And again, back to back seasons. I think the Reds have used seventy plus players in a season, which is just unheard of. So yeah, I, I think again, we don't want. I, I say that with love and respect. You don't want Nick Martinez to start because in a perfect world, you have Andrew Abbott, you have Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Graham Ashcraft, and Frankie Montas. That's your five. Uh, now, as, when it comes to Brandon Williamson, who showed a lot of uh, promise last year, and I'd argue might have higher upside than some of the guys that I just mentioned in the top five, I would say he would start down in AAA. I think that's where he would start. I think him as well as uh, Connor Phillips would, would start down there, unless you want to do bullpen stuff. If, if I, I don't hate Nick Lodolo being a bullpen pitcher. I don't hate it. He's been hurt nonstop uh, in his young MLB career. He's very young, um, but it's, there's no secret that him and Hunter Green have been injured for a large portion of their careers thus far. And I don't hate I don't hate the idea of Nick Lodolo starting in the bullpen. And if that's the case, there's certainly worse bullpen arms you can have, which would be good for us. And I think you could bring Brandon Williamson back to the starting five. All right, so you're going to get people that are going to rip your head apart because you say that Nick Lodolo can go to the bullpen. And i got to be honest with you. I don't think that uh, – unless you're 100% proven to be consistent to be able to handle and withstand with the innings and uh, of a starting pitcher, then ultimately – and again, the game's changed so much, Elliot, to where you could, you could make the case that sometimes from a bullpen perspective, there's a slight chance – not a great chance, but there's a slight chance But the way that David Bell manages certainly sometimes – is that you might just get the same amount of innings and wear and tear on your arm into the bullpen as you would be in a starting pitcher. Um, now, again, that's arguable. But at the same time, I think it just comes down to what is the ceiling of these guys and how much leash do you want to give them to see what that potential could possibly end up being. Nick Lodolo is a guy that some people would argue is the best arm that the Reds have in this system. From a starting pitching perspective, if that's the case, you're not just going to throw that guy to the bullpen just because he's had some injury history. Now, I get what you're saying. You're trying to protect. You're trying to protect an asset that you'd like to have at least something of, than nothing of. Correct. And the, the the case in point is, is that would it make that big of a difference if you go to the bullpen, out of being a starting pitcher? Uh, I'm sure there's analytics that would go into this, and I'm sure that there's some kind of um, some kind of uh, again system uh, that would suggest whether or not that's the case. I think it comes down to for this Reds team. What is it that you think gives your team the best chance to win and leave it at that? I think far too often in professional franchises, and this happens in college, this happens in, 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 it happens more than, than, than people want to make it out to be, is that there is a stigma that comes with you before you get there. And when you arrive, you can break that stigma if you do something to the contrary over an extended period of time, whether it's good or bad. 
if you come to the big leagues with a lot of hype, you are the number one overall pick or you are the first round pick, you are going to be given a leash so much longer than Jacob Hurtabies. It's not even funny. But Jacob Hurtabies might just be significantly better. I would just love to get in a position. And again, I understand that there's ceilings and you want to see you want to see you want to see it out and you want to make sure that you don't make a mistake because you didn't give this guy enough time to blossom and grow. Jose Barrero maybe falls into that mix. Edwin Encarnacion of old. I just want the Reds to make the decision of whoever the best player is that gives them team gives their team the best chance to win at that time the opportunity to do it. I don't care who it is and what it is. I don't care if Brandon Williamson was a guy that we didn't, we you couldn't count on him at all in double A, in triple A, or, or excuse me, in double A AA or triple A the last year. And then all of a sudden he comes to the big leagues and something happened. A switch was hit. He pitched consistently well. I don't want the stigma and the perception and the idea of, well, he's just a fringe big leaguer. Are we sure he's a fringe big leaguer? Are we sure of that? Because I do know this. And again, maybe people will laugh at this. But I've been around people in my life that when the lights get bright and the cameras come on, they perform better. They are better for it. And there's the opposite that could happen too. Maybe it's a coincidence that Brandon Williamson was pitching mediocre. We'll call it mediocre in the minors. Got thrown to the Wolves, quite frankly, because they had no other options. They got thrown to the Wolves in Colorado. And then from that point forward, I don't know what happened. Maybe it was luck that he threw well the rest of the year. Maybe it was. Or maybe just maybe the kid's made of a different cloth than some others. Not many people get on their phone after a game and tweet, at somebody and tell them how they feel. Now you might make fun of that and say, oh, you know, I'm just saying some guys are cut from a different cloth. They handle situations better than others when pressure mounts. When the pressure gets to become unbearable, some enjoy it, some don't. And maybe I'm giving Brandon Williamson way too much credit right now. But if Brandon Williamson goes out there and he throws the ball well in spring training, and somehow he gets nicks just because these guys that have bigger potential or they might be better, they get the opportunity first. It's going to piss me off. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to be a Brandon Williamson stand. I'm just suggesting that we can't just automatically assume that if Williamson goes out and doesn't throw the ball all that well in spring or just say he throws it average at best, and Connor Phillips is striking everybody out, that I'm automatically going to go with Connor Phillips. That's 100% true. I, I Again, I, I it's about what you do on the field consistently. I, don't, I think these one-off spurts are, are fine. We saw it with Will Benson at the beginning of the year where he looked like he couldn't compete at a major league level for the first what, X amount of games, 30 games, 30 at-bats, whatever it was. Uh, sent down to AAA, fixed it, worked on it, got better, became a very productive part of our offense. So... Uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's not a spur-of-the-moment thing. If a guy pitches good for a week or if a guy pitches good for a month, you know, you got to do it consistently. you got to do it all year. Uh, and, and to say Connor Phillips would be ahead of Brandon Phillips would be – Brandon Williamson, I would say, would be wrong. But to each their own, I think you certainly could, could have him there in a couple years. 
But as of right now, I, I think there is a clear pecking order, uh, and, and Connor Phillips is last as of now, as of this very second. All right, uh, Jonathan India made news. Yes, he um, did. And here's the thing with Jonathan India in this whole situation. Some I was listening. Uh, somehow there's weird times where um, my car gets the radio stuck on it. And I don't ever listen to the radio, but there are random times where um, I don't, I, I really don't even know how it happens. I'll be honest with you. It's some, some magic trick. I get in the car and somehow the radio is on. And when the radio is on, it's on AM. Usually it would be on 700 of all, of, of all places. Fair enough. Yep. The big one. And I was listening to someone on that station say that Jonathan India got an extension. And I immediately turned it off. <laughs> I, it's not an extension. It's not an extension. It's not an extension. It's avoiding arbitration. Okay. So you don't have to go to a court case and tell this guy how bad he sucks. And then he gets to tell you how great he is. And then somehow you both hate each other and you walk out of there and the court makes a decision. This is how much he gets paid. And it ends up being a hundred thousand dollar difference between what you, what, what you were trying to argue and what they were trying to argue. And you could have avoided the whole thing by just saying, you know what, let's just, let's just concede and, and give up an extra hundred thousand dollars here or there. In, in, in a major league baseball franchise, you'd like to think that a hundred thousand here and there is probably not that big of a deal. Um, but teach their own. Anyway, uh, India gets three point eight. I think he was asking for four to start. Reds were saying three point two. So it kind of did lean the favor of Jonathan India. He gets five million uh, for the following year in twenty twenty five. So that's taken care of. You don't have to worry about that anymore. The question is: Is does it matter? I mean, is it that big of a deal? I don't know how big of a deal it is, but it does provide solidarity to something it does provide you know clarity to the situation for themselves yes the reds but also other obviously teams as well and the the, the jonathan india trade rumors i don't think will ever stop i really don't unless something crazy happens and he goes out and he becomes even if he becomes an all-star <laughs> there's still going to be the case in point of hey we get rid of this guy at peak value blah 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 blah, blah. it's just not going to go away and the reason it's not going to go away is because there's young guys that play the position that he plays or he played. And until that changes, that is going to continue to be the case. Now, the only thing that could be, if you're a Jonathan India fan, the biggest excitement that could possibly happen, in my opinion, is that he goes out and he decides to play left field and he's actually a really good outfielder. Like he's a pretty good defensive outfielder. And the Reds at that point, like Jonathan India, thinks he fits the clubhouse great. And they're like, you know what? We want him to be our outfielder for the next eight years. And they, and they strike a deal doing that. Outside of that, I'm just warning all of the Jonathan India stands out there that I wouldn't treat this as if the Reds have decided they are staking their claim into Jonathan India. I think it shows a commitment to him that I think was up until that moment, up until that moment was unclear. I, I think they like Jonathan India. I think they wanted to keep Jonathan India, and I think this this shows it. We, he has he's written in stone for the next three years. Now, Nick Kirby, when we did when we did that video last week, he, he pointed out, and it could be what you're saying. It could be that if he plays great this year, he's got a set contract, and we trade him. You know, what you got, and he's gone, and that could certainly be the case. But for all the Evan Mowers of the world and, and all those people on X.com that went out and they made fun of him and they and they destroyed his, his everything about him as a player they, they killed him i think those people were proven wrong because it's clear that the reds at least if nothing else are committed to sticking with them trying something new and i think that's big it, it, 
would you rather have Kevin Newman or would you rather have Jonathan India? I think it's unanimous that you'd rather have Jonathan India as a bench bat, as some sort of depth that this team greatly needs. Again, we we talked about it with the starting pitchers. If everybody get, if everybody stays healthy, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. It's it's 162 games over the course of several months. It's it's impossible for everybody to stay healthy. And for when that time comes that somebody goes down for a week, for a month, I would rather have Jonathan India back there than than Kevin Newman. Then who God knows who else? Stuart Fairchild. So I, I I think that's where the disconnect was. I think people hate him, and, and that's okay. You have your prerogative. You want him out of the city. You want him shipped to Siberia. I think there's value in Jonathan India, and, and I, I'm glad he's a red. I'm glad he's a red this year, and I hope he plays outfield better uh, than he does at second base because if that's the case, he will have value for the Cincinnati Reds 100%. I also want to say I do think that there's some there is something to be said about the fact that you know he, he can play the infield. It's not something that we would desire, but at the same time, he's not a. This is the part where you kind of uh, you can't, you kind of can we step back from the fan base of the trade him camp and the let's keep him let's make let's build a statue outside of the stadium for him camp to where the truth lies in the middle of all that. The question ultimately comes down to what do the Reds get in return if they decide to trade him? And is it a value to what they would actually desire to have over what they get by keeping him? And what they get by keeping him is depth. It is an opportunity to have him play the outfield and see what it looks like. And then on top of that, if somebody were to get hurt in the infield, then at that point, there's at least some flexibility there. And I hate to say this, and we'll get into this probably later this offseason, and we'll have more and more time to discuss the Reds, is that... We, we're, we are just somewhat wishful thinking if we think that all of these guys that we've come to expect things from are going to actually deliver what we expect from them. That, 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 is the, that is the scary part about this franchise. And it's not trying to make excuses. Some people are going to be like, well, you're being a Debbie Downer. Wow, this is real negative. I'm not being negative. I'm just saying out of all of these guys – there's going to be somebody that doesn't perform to the standard that we expect them to perform. And I hope that's not Matt McClain. And I hope that's not Ellie De La Cruz. And I hope that's not Noel Marte. But if CES struggles mightily, right? You could make the, well, that's why they got Candelario. Okay, Candelario, you plug him in there for there. Well, then at that point, guess what? You got a hole where Candelario is going to be because he's either playing first base, third base, or more than likely going to be playing DH from time to time. Then at some point, okay, if that's the case, then then maybe India DHs. And India's not a bad, that's, that's not bad. Now, you could make the case that's a pretty light-hitting DH. Can't you go out and find somebody like a J.D. Martinez, which would be a significantly upgrade at, at DH in that same role? Yeah, the answer is yes. It almost feels like this franchise right now is in a position where they don't know, and they don't know. They don't know exactly what they have, so it's really hard for them to go out and make a big splash in free agency, if you want to call it that, without there being flexibility involved with it. So if you go get a JT Martinez, right, you know for a fact, okay, this guy, we expect him to perform. Not a guarantee, but we expect him to perform and be a good DH. Okay, that's great. But what happens if, hypothetically speaking, hypothetically, of course, what happens if CES, it hits, and again, I'm going to make this outlandish, hits 50 home runs, but has a fielding percentage of 820? Well, you have your DH. 
There's no flexibility with some of these guys. And maybe you could make the case for Jorge Soler. That's the problem that you ultimately had with him. Yeah. Is that you know you don't know what you have. So before you don't know what you have, maybe we should pump the brakes and try to figure out what we do have before we go out and make specific plugs at holes. And they can do that at the trade deadline, like it or not, as well. If you had to pick right now, and this is going to be uh, – this, this might – be upset some fans, but you have to talk about it because you have to talk about it. What? Some of these rookies will not be as good as they were last season. If you had to pick one that I'm not going to say is due for regression, but that you could see regress. Yep. Who would that be? Who, who's the name? Is, um, it, is it Andrew Rabbit? No, I think it's one guy specifically, and I, I, I hope it's not, but I think Spencer Steer is certainly a guy that – Spencer Steer. That, 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 to me, Spencer Steer – top of the list um but i don't i'm not forecasting that i don't you know i i wouldn't bet on it but i would say of all the guys if you said hey this guy is going to underperform of, uh, of what you expect him to do i think steer is number one i think ellie's the opposite i think ellie you know in a, in a little bit of a way towards the end of the season put a sour taste in so many Reds fans' mouths that they kind of come to expect Ellie to struggle significantly. I agree with this. And if Ellie finds himself in a position where he progresses and, and starts to figure it out a little bit, yeah. then Ellie exceeds, actually, believe it or not, I think Ellie exceeds the local fan base, not national, but the local fan base's expectations, yes. Uh, Kirby and Evan, they believe it's going to be Matt McClain, or they think it might be Matt McClain. And that's largely based off the fact of, 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 of numbers from AA. Yeah. If, if you took the double-A numbers, if, if, if Matt McClain hit 295, and, and I guess do me a favor right now, how many at-bats did, did Mr. McClain get in that double-A season? Let's see. Um, the guy was a first-round pick twice, went to UCLA, performed there. Yes, he struggled maybe when he was a freshman, but he, he performed there. The guy's been a dude his entire life. He looks the part, and I think he is the part. And if Matt McClain regresses, I will say that I'm wrong. My baseball eyes are not as good as I thought they were. Now, the only concern I have for Matt McClain, of all the guys, is – Injury. Um, he's young, but he was injured. Took him time to get back. Re-injured it. Was out for the year. But as far as Matt McClain regressing and he's healthy, I don't see that. Now, again, what is regressing? Are you going to say regressing is, is, uh, is playing slightly below what he did last year? Because Matt McClain was unbelievable last year. Did he play slightly below that? I wouldn't call that regressing. Regressing to me is when you when you were a guy, you have come to expect this person to be somebody that you need them to be, and then they're completely gone. That's what I mean, who has the biggest chance of being, you know, somebody that we come to expect. Spencer Steer. And, and the other guy, quite frankly, would be Will Benson. And I love Will Benson. Will Benson might be my favorite player that the Reds have. But Will Benson's another guy you can make the case that he could be an all-star next year. Um, or, you know, quite frankly, he's a guy that's in, playing for the bats. Uh, 232, 363, 453 in 103 games in 2022. All right. How many at-bats did he have? Um, that's what I cared about. 103 mm. games, so I don't know. Uh, how many at-bats? So roughly. At -bats? Is that 452? 452 plate appearances. Okay. So 370 at-bats. So he had 370 at-bats, which is not a bad amount. I mean, it's not a terrible amount. Um, 452 plate appearance, 300 at-bats, 232 at the plate. This was double A. Um, 
I'm just I, I what do you do at the big league level? <laughs> he 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 performed. Um, again, Brandon Williamson, another guy. At some point, you watch these guys, and you 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 certainly that's where there is some validity to the analytics is because you just take the emotion out of it and you say, hey, this is what this guy is, like it or not. I think Noel V is my player of the year. I think Noel V is going to win Rookie of the Year this year. I, I, I'm, I'm almost too high in Noel V Marte. Uh, and that's where when we had the big debate, should Noel V replace uh, India, and that was last season when Jacob, was, Jacob and I were talking about it over there, I was proven wrong. I was proven wrong about Noel V because that, guy, that guy's a stud. I think he's going to carry the rookie class this year. I don't think Spencer Steer is going to regress. I think he's going to stay the same. I think he is a, he's going to be a consistent bat in this lineup. I don't think he's a good defender, great defender, uh, but he's serviceable enough to, to platoon in left field or wherever the hell you need him. Uh, outside of that, I think Strand is going to have a big year. I think he's going to hit 30-plus home runs. Might be a wild take. I think Ellie, you are, you are 100% right on Ellie. I think Ellie, the stock for Ellie hit almost like so low that the only way, the like Ellie, I don't think, and again, this is no knock on him, I don't think he can get worse. I think that was his worst. The, the very worst he can play, I think, was last year. And I think that is saying something because his worst is still a very good MLB player. And I think, and I think you are going to see Ellie shine this year uh, brighter than he did last season. Matt McClain is one I don't think will regress. I, I, do, I am high on Matt McClain and maybe... Uh, it's just me not being intelligent enough to, to see his double-A stats or whatever the hell you guys want to bring up. But I, I, I still see Matt McClain is going to be, uh, if not the third best, 100% the third best rookie on the roster. My, my, regress, my regressor would be Andrew Abbott. That, that would be my selection. Okay. I think Abbott might have caught fire there. And I think towards the end of the season, I think you were kind of seeing his true colors. I think he could be very good. But I think Andrew Abbott's my pick to regress. I mean, Andrew, to be fair to him, though, man, he was pushing innings. And, he was, 100%. Uh, he, he was pushing innings. I'm not going to say that that was his true self towards the end of the year. If anything, I would say that that, that you know the, the run that he had was maybe not what he will ultimately end up being. But these guys are young. You'd like to think that some of them are going to get better. If player development is such a big thing at, uh, in the Reds franchise, you'd like to think that, you know, we're not hoping for these guys' rookie seasons for the rest of their career. Yeah. Um, but they had so so many of these guys had such good years that you you'd almost take it if you told me that Matt McClain you're gonna get the same Matt McClain for the next ten years you know it's risky to, it's risky to say yes because ultimately he might end up being one of the best baseball players in all of in all of uh, the world but the, the 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 fact of the matter is is that if you get that type of production you have to take it it's, you have to take it. Um, Matt McClain had 16 home runs and 23 doubles with four triples in 89 games. That's almost that's almost impossible. How good that is! So I, I mean, maybe maybe that just means he's due to regress the same way. I don't know if he can play better than that. Just like Ellie can't play worse than that. Uh, but yeah, I, we'll, we'll see. I, I would absolutely take most of these guys' rookie seasons for their career. 100. percent Okay. Outside of Ellie. All right. Uh, programming notes as a reminder: Chatterbox Bearcats um, in what I think is a must-win game. You can t you can laugh all the way you want, but I think they're going to find a way to win this game. And when they do, it'll 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 catapult them into a position that gives them an opportunity to make the tournament. I want nothing more than a, maybe a Cincinnati team or two to make this tournament. Xavier finds himself on the outside looking in right now, but they have an opportunity to to, to do the same thing that UC has. Destiny is in their hands. And the question is whether or not they can find a way to get some big wins. 
the proverbial moral victories that we were discussing the other day, those no longer are, uh, are valid and they're not going to work. But if you were a UC fan going into this year, you have to be somewhat pleased at the fact that you're competing in the games that you were worried about last year. I think many people were saying, well, whoa, what's going to happen when you have to play in the Big 12? Well, you're starting to get some better players. Wes Miller's getting better players in there. And then as far as uh, Xavier goes, I know Xavier fans probably aren't panicking, but if I was a Xavier fan, I'd be thrilled to death the fact that my team even has a somewhat of a semi-chance to make the tournament when their two best players got hurt, right? Man, is that fair to say? I mean, Olivari's probably one of the better players. So Olivari, I, I think, would have been better than Jerome Hunter this year. Yeah. But it's fair. It's fair. Fremantle, I don't know. Fremantle, Fremantle would have been big. They would have, they would have needed Fremantle. Yeah, I, but, but I'm saying, you lose two guys like that, and you, you still find yourself in a position where you're competing in games. Um, and then, obviously, lastly, uh, after Chatterbox Bearcats, you have Chatterbox Reds, and uh, we'll probably get into all things that are pitchers and catchers, and we'll talk about that late, late, late tonight. And uh, all that happens after my... Um, my 10U basketball game tonight oh. that uh, hopefully we can find a way to win a game. And I think we're, uh, we've won one game. We've won one game. We're a little undersized, which is not a good thing. What's the spread in, in tonight? 10U basketball game. The spread tonight? Yeah. I would say we are probably, if you had to say, we'd probably be getting about five points. Okay. Somewhere in there, maybe six. I'll, I'll ride with you. You think we're going to get it? We're going to get it? Yeah, I'll, I'll take plus five and a half. Mm. Got to give me the hook, though. Is it a system play? That's blind faith. Um, Chris Welsh interview on Chatterbox Reds tonight. Pre-recorded. It, that it is. Yeah. Yep. How about that? All right. Um, any other final parting notes here to add to the program, gentlemen? No. Uh, I don't think it's a must-win for the Bearcats, but I will be watching tonight. And, and, and God, I hope they win. God, I hope they win. We need it. I'll say one last thing. Um, if uh, We already talked about all the programming notes, but something that's not necessarily programming, but something that you should definitely be interested in, Chatterbox Bets. Um, we have a positive record by like a wide margin. Oh, yeah. you, I mean, we're, we're getting close, dangerously uh -oh. close to double-digit units. We were 2-1 we last night, right? Yeah, 2-1 and one last night. Your pick um, was terrible. It hit by, by, by five, five points. Yeah, but it was a terrible pick. Whatever. Are you suggesting right now terrible picks for ones that hit? Yep. I hated his reasoning for it. It still hit, Trace, and it hit by like five points. So, Elliot, just to be clear, Elliot doesn't like your picks because he doesn't like the way that you explain them. Correct. But, but, but even well, though they I, win him money, he still doesn't have to I explained I explained some reasons to him, and he thought that that meant the opposite. Well, turns out that I was right, that the reasons. Some are saying you're carrying score. chatterbox bets. He is kidding. I'm 13 and four. I, I don't mean to brag. He is, there is he someone is, that's 13 is. and 0, but I'm 13 and four. He is carrying it, and that's and that's without without a doubt. So shout out to Casey. And it turns out that it, that is that his peers, that his colleagues are, are are upset at the man that's 13 and four because of his reasoning. You're not giving me a good enough reason. Why do you like this bet? I, I don't. I mean, were you, the guy's 13 and four. Were you the guy's 13 and four? Were you proud of me yesterday when I took a bet like you did? I I, I saw a, Ooh, a, a, yeah. a great play on Warriors money line when they were up 15. I took a minus four thousand. Yeah, and I bet twenty cents on it, and I won a penny. Did you win? I did. Okay. Well, guess what? No, no one's ever, no one's ever gone broke taking profit. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I don't understand why this is so hard. I'll take my penny I, and I'll move I, on. I, I, Stack I, those you, you make funny. You know, you do. You make fun of me of all the bets that I I have placed. The ones that you give me the hardest time about are the ones that I've won. <laughs> it's true. I just did it to Casey right there. I guess I hate winners.
I and I'm a horrible gambler, but that's what that's you know that's the. That's When's the, the tennis match going to be uploaded? Uh, I'm hoping at, at least on Thursday. I'm hoping. Hmm. We'll get it by Thursday. Well, I'll, I'll I'll make sure of that if you want to bring it over here. I'm gonna go home today, and God willing, I hope I finish putting it all together because it is. I, I'm trying to. It's there's a lot on the cutting room floor in terms because we talked like every point. I don't think I need, you need to hear from me every point. So I'm debating on how much of that I'm leaving in, but uh, that will come out as, assuming this week at some point. So that is a promise. That is a guarantee. If you would like to see that, you are going to have to subscribe to us. You're going to have to become a member. So please do that as well. All right. Um, final parting thoughts here while we're doing the uh, the gambling. As always, call 100 Gambler if you have a gambling problem. Uh, 21 plus in Ohio. The let's see here. Boy, there's a lot. These have to fluctuate, obviously, as the night goes on, I would assume. These these aren't all going to stay the same. But uh, currently, Ohio State looks like a pretty good play. What's the Bearcats looking like? I checked them earlier. I think it's 40-60 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's not bad. It's whatever. It's a toss-up. So another close one down there in Clifton. What are the ticket prices like to go down there? Do not that I can go, but if you want to go to that game tonight, is it is it how much how much does it take to get in? Uh, probably forty bucks, maybe fifty. Fifty bucks, really? It's expensive now. Damn, so it's sold out every game. Well, I mean, fifty bucks—that's good. It's good. Good for the Bearcats. Um, all right. Well, that's another show. Another day has come and another day has gone. We're one day closer for many of you finding a uh, finding a new a new host of Off the Bench. But until then, it's gonna be a while. Got news for you. Got a great host now. Let's do it. We'll see you tomorrow. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for watching. See you tomorrow.